For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Get everything for your next project today at Menards and save big money. Right now, all stock outlets with USB ports are on sale. Ditch the need for bulky USB adapters. Upgrade your home with features like ultra-fast charging, allowing you to charge your smart devices up to 40% faster than standard USB outlets. Also, view our weekly flyer on Menards.com and check out all the great deals happening this week. Save big money at Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, welcome back to Film Study. We're still looking at week three. Today, we get to look at that great offense up in Detroit. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing all right, and it's a win is a win, no matter how bad the offense looks, right? That's uh, that's what we're saying. And, I, I, you know, one of the things that struck me today on Twitter is a Cleveland fan saying he's glad that the that Tucker made the field goal because they don't want the Ravens drafting in the top 15. Well, kind of I, uh, getting I mean, ahead of itself in week three. Yeah, but it's also goes with the assumption of based on the injuries, the Ravens aren't going to do anything this year. Yes. Yes. So we are, I can understand that mentality. 
Uh, joining us today is Jamie Seek from Baltimore Sports and Life and the Bank Podcast. Jamie, how's it going? It's going well, guys. Thank you uh, very much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. No, we're, we're excited, Jamie. Uh, first first time on the show. You have not done a short, so just jumping in and doing a regular offense or defense episode. Really appreciate having you here. Uh, I, I think I speak for both of us when I say it's not the offense we expected to see from the Ravens. Uh, we saw that jumbo run game against the Chiefs was so successful. I thought that the Ravens would continue that given their lack of front five depth on defense and a desire to shorten this football game. I think it was really interesting to see the way it was clear the game plan was that they were going to attack through the air. It looked, dare I say it, very traditional. And this offense under Greg Roman and and since Lamar has been at the helm has been anything but the norm. Uh, So it was it was definitely different and had it not been for some of the, let's just say, miscues from the wide receivers, things may have been a lot better and come a lot easier than they did. Yeah, it would have been a different football game, and I, I think it's unlikely that it had been a 66-yard field goal attempt if uh, if a couple of ball, those balls had been caught. Um, you know, The Lions very much played Raven ball on the other side, meaning week two Raven ball against the Chiefs. They went jumbo to exploit the Ravens. Uh, shorthanded front. Uh, the Ravens aired it out, and it just it, it was exactly the opposite. On really on both sides of the ball was what I was expecting. I didn't think the Lions really had the ability to man up against the Ravens. I thought, you know, it, it would be a nice thing for them to try. And and the first half, frankly, they weren't successful running out of those heavy sets. Yeah, the um, it, and you could see it was clear that given the snap count that a lot of the guys had on defense that they were going to wear down. I or let's just say you hoped they wouldn't wear down, but I think when, when you saw Clayus Campbell had to spend as much time on the field as he did. Uh, you're giving, giving snaps to uh, McKenzie that just came up off the practice squad. Those kind of things were recipes for things to wear down particularly when the offense wasn't doing what they normally do. So you kind of put all that into a, a pot and it made for a uh, an almost really bad stew that was, you know, luckily topped off with a 66-yard field goal to make it not matter. Yeah, there you go. That's uh, that's the best dessert for that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it was good that the Ravens did not let the snap count battle get out of hand. They lost at 60-56 to 56 on the game if you toss out the spike. So it, it, they – they kept the, the holding the Lions to 60 snaps was a big win. If it had been a 75 snap game for the Lions, uh, you know, if the Lions had controlled the football for longer, had done a little bit in the first half offensively, and they really did nothing, then I think it could have been a different story. I think the Lions, you know, would have started scoring earlier and been just as effective at, at, at scoring pretty much every drive. Well, yeah, the and the clear adjustment they made at halftime to start going to the backs out of the backfield, you know, mm-hmm. little swing passes, getting them out in space and exploiting what has been, you know, kind of an ongoing wart for the Ravens defense, which mm-hmm. has been the inability to wrap up and tackle, especially from the inside linebackers. But uh, I'm sure that was already covered on the defensive yeah, uh, edition. <laughs> I was going to say, we spent about 25 minutes last night bashing Patrick Queen. I really don't want to do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the change in scheme a little more directly. The tackles uh, return to some awful play. Again, we're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, really, very poor play. 
I'm sorry, but the Ravens did not keep them protected against the Lions edge rushers. Now, you know, the Lions don't have a daunting group of edge rushers with Romeo Okora on one side and Charles Harris on the others. Those aren't really well-known players. There are two Okoras, by the way. The the Okora who was drafted, I think, in the second round this year by the Lions uh, is... I guess he might be a brother or, or whatever. I don't even know their family relationship. You might. Uh, but the other one's in about his fifth year, number 95, who was very upset at the end of the game and, and had a good, had a pretty good game on the right side. Hmm. Yeah, it it was just I, I was taken aback really just by the game plan in general and how everything shook out. It was really it was so different that it almost even watching it back, it was a little bit almost like who are these guys and where did they come from? I didn't see, you know, we, we didn't see the use of tight ends on the edge all that much. Even when there was a few times where they lined up bunch formation and like Ricard was on the end of the line and he ended up, you know, in a situation where he would chip, but you didn't see, you didn't see any of the di- that diamond pistol formation that, that we run so often there I don't recall. Maybe there was one like RPO type concept play. None of the mesh point stuff. It was just, it was unusual. And we know the lions had injury issues in the secondary coming in. And I think that's probably what Roman was looking to exploit. But also at some point you think you would start to return to your DNA. And we didn't do a whole lot of that. Right, or, ju- or just mix it up, maybe, because, you know, it's it's OK to take the shots down the field. They certainly did. Lamar had one of the most extreme deep passing games in the last five years in the NFL. We'll get to that. But uh, uh, what surprised me was what you just mentioned, is that the extra inline players dropped so dramatically. They, they put in a sixth li- offensive lineman eight times last week. Only one time uh, was Cologne on the field this week. Fullbacks and tight ends, that sixth offensive line put together, those are kind of the heavies that I add up into a per play number. 1.82 versus the Chiefs dropped to 1.75 against the Lions. You know, it's still a high number. It's just not a really extreme number for dealing with a very extreme injury situation. And I, I, I was surprised by it from that respect. And, you know, you mentioned also they really did not uh, run much in terms of read options. Very, very little in terms of mesh point handoffs. It was, uh, you know, take it and go kind of most of the game. And in, in week one, you didn't see a lot of that. And it made sense because you were introducing some new backs into the mix that didn't get to work with Lamar a lot in the preseason or at all in the case of Latavius Murray. Uh, and then last week, though, against the Chiefs or, or two weeks ago, I guess now you saw that and it was just it was working. And and Lamar had the ball and he had it in the running back's belly and he was freezing the, the end and everything was working the way it's it's been working for the better part of the last last two seasons and it was like they all of a sudden decided well we're just going to run some iso power off guard off tackle stuff and well let's see what happens and it, uh, it the results were you know so so if not for lamar's what 30 yard run 31 yard run they wouldn't have gotten over 100 yards yeah it's you know you look at 22 for 116 certainly for this team and it's not a good result. You know, even though it's 5.3 yards per carry, it's it's not what the Ravens do. It's the Ravens getting away from what they do. And and you think about all the other teams in the NFL who would just love to rush 22 times for 116 yards in a game. They can't do it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, kind of cool, actually. But uh, uh, the other thing that the Ravens made a lot of use of in Week 2 against the Chiefs was with 
Villanueva and McCary at tackle, they used a lot of chip and set blockers. So they used 15 and 7 last week in, I'm going to say it's 26 plays. So that's 0.85 set or chip blockers per play, 22 of, of 26. Um, this week it was 11 and 8, but they had many more plays. They had 34 pass plays if you take out that uh, spike. And so it really only works out to 0.56 per play. It's only about two-thirds as often did they use set or chip blockers. Uh, that to me was a big change. And uh, it's one of the things that I think if they're going to get the tackles to continue to hold up, they're really going to have to go with more of that. Well, and I think that relates directly to the issues that Villanueva had with allowing, what was it, seven or eight pressures, I believe the number was. Um, and for as well as he played against the Chiefs, and of course that was diametrically opposed to how poorly he played against the Raiders on the right side. So it's obvious that he's going to benefit from some help. And we know Macari on the other side, you know, for his versatility, he is playing a little bit out of position. He's probably better suited playing inside given his size, arm length, those kind of things. So if you're going to continue to have games where you're going to see Lamar in this more traditional, not that he was under center dropping back per se, but even still just kind of taking this, taking a shotgun or pistol snap, couple steps, top of his drop, making a read, getting rid of the ball, you're going to need to help out on one side or the other because I don't know that these guys are capable of holding up you know, 30 to 35 times a game. But this also might have been a unique game plan against this team. It, it might have been, and, and we'll see where that takes us. I, I honestly believe they'll return to much more protection of the tackles just because of who they are and what the results were like in this game. I don't think you can ignore that problem and hope it gets better on its own. I think, it, I think other teams will see it on film and try and exploit it even more. And, you know, other teams, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, will have better pass rushers with which to do it. And uh, and the Ravens were very fortunate. It was the Detroit Lions with a couple guys who were just middle-of-the-road pass rushers. Mm, yeah, we got to see that on full display in week one when the, uh, the, the Raiders really, really wore us out on the edges. Very true, very true. Okay, let's go on to the offensive line here. Uh, I like to talk about the players individually, and uh, I'll just uh, give you my statistical breakdown of these guys from the from the scoring I did. Uh, Villanueva, bad regression, eight and a half pressures, and I'll break that down for you because it's a little different for the, how PFF has it, but I have seven full pressures and three half pressures. That is an unbelievable amount for one NFL game, in particular when you only throw the ball 34 times. That's just out of this world. As a third of the plays, he basically allowed a pressure. A lot of them walk back pressures into the quarterback where he was giving ground and continuing to mirror. Those are actually better pressures that Lamar can work with. Stanley gave up a fair amount of those as well. Some of the difference from PFF is going to come in a difference between a three and a two and a half second grading um, standard. And also the fact that, that I am more protective of the cone itself when I charge a pressure. Interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll continue on. Uh, he, he did have, he also gave up a third a share of each of two sacks. That's not good either. And a full quarterback hit, not good. Uh, so uh, parts of, I'm going to get this right, 14 pressure events on 34 dropbacks. That's just uh, just terrible. Uh, there's no other way to put it. Um, you know, if, if they hadn't won this game and you know, there weren't other things to talk about, like inside linebacker. I think we'd be talking about Alejandro Villanueva today as the reason the Ravens couldn't get it done. Um, even though Lamar did a pretty good job maneuvering himself away from some of that bump pressure that Villanueva gave him. 
Well, yeah, and it, it, I think it's something you've seen on full display since Lamar's taken over is that he has been able to make offensive linemen look a little bit better by his ability, by escapability. And then on Sunday, what was unique and something that, that we haven't seen a whole lot of is not just escaping the pocket and doing things on the edge, but he climbed the pocket a couple of times stayed home to make a throw as opposed to getting out on the edge. And that's obviously going to help your offensive lineman when you, when you have that kind of ability, but it was nice to see that, you know, almost it was, it was a little bit more veteran looking and that's not, that's not a knock. I think that's, that's growth on Lamar's part. You're saying for Lamar, right? Yeah. He did. He did stay in there, get sacked four times, which is unfortunate. The, the one you know, really almost cost him the game on the third down play, which brought up fourth and 19. If he'd have been taken down there, I think the game's over or very close. You know, then would they, go yeah. ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, truth be told, that was probably one of the one of the biggest plays of the game. The fact that he was able to get out of bounds as opposed mm-hmm. to taking the sack, having already taken the sack on first down, you know, because when you looked at the clock in that situation, you're like, well, a minute and change, you know, no timeouts. But, hey, you got Tucker. You, know, you figure you get a couple first downs. You're going to be in decent shape. You're not expecting sack incompletion sack there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact that he was able to elude enough, maintain balance and get out of bounds you know, was a, uh, would have been, would it still have been nicer if he'd have been able to throw that ball away, but sure. you know, we are where we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Villanueva an F for the game, obviously, uh, maybe not obviously, but he, but he got an F for the game is, is aggregate score, by the way, for people who are, uh, you know, follow the show a little bit was only 0.34 after adjustment. So he was far, far away from a, from a passing grade. Moving on to left guard, Ben Powers, uh, very physical game, not any serious pass blocking errors. He did wander back uh, into the cone on one assist of Villanueva, where I gave him a half of the pressure charge because of that. Villanueva kind of had him too far back, but also was a little bit wide of the pocket. He might not have gotten charged for a pressure, but he was using a bad place and Powers tried to help block and he invaded the cone. And uh, and that was why he got a half pressure charge on that one. Uh, but otherwise, he was perfect in the 30 some snaps he played. Let me get that total for you. Correct. Uh, yeah, he played 31 total snaps, made 29 of his blocks. Otherwise, just had one miss. Uh, and that and that half pressure made four to four pulls, three blocks in level two. Uh, very physical game from Ben Powers, finally living up to some of the physicality. I think it, since the exhibition, the second exhibition game that he kind of talked about coming out of the draft. You know, uh, it's, it's interesting that he wasn't seeing uh, time in the beginning of the season until the, until the Phillips injury. So it, it makes me wonder what this, what the staff was liking more about Phillips overpowers <laughs> or, you know, I, I mean, I know they liked Phillips for, you know, versatility, but just because you can play a lot of positions doesn't necessarily mean you play them well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right tackle last year, Phillips was a little bit shaky, not to get too off topic, but um, what I was good, what I was a little worried about when last week, when you saw Cleveland start to get in the ball game, and whenever you have a rotation at the offensive line, you do always worry about communication and tendencies and guys get comfortable playing next to guys. And, you know, this offensive line has kind of been in flux all throughout training camp. And then obviously we started one way week one and then last week. But it looks it seems like they're making the rotation work pretty well. And obviously those guys are going to have to help out Villanueva a little bit, especially if they're not going to chip on the edges. 
Yeah, one of the nice things I, I like both of both powers and and um, uh, uh, Cleveland for this. Yes, <laughs> but Cleveland when he's quick enough to make a help block, he makes a devastating help block. He'll go right to the body, often knock down uh, a player who's opposite the tackle. So if you can maintain that mirror and wait for help to come, it's going to be coming. It's going to be coming very hard. One of the nice things about having Ben Cleveland at left guard is there's literally nobody who wants to go one on one with him as a pass rusher in the NFL. Nobody is big enough to do it. Nobody wants to get locked up in any kind of arm battle with him or at arm's length with him. He's just, he's too big. He's too, he's too immovable. And so they try and get around him and they try and stunt the gaps around him. Well, that means that gives Cleveland an opportunity to hand that guy off and have Bozeman be the guy who takes that block, him just use a single arm and then immediately start scanning. Is anybody else going through this, this um, uh, B-gap by blitz, by stunt, whatever it might be, and then get over and get, make that help block for the, for the tackle as quickly as possible? I think the more they work on that, the more they're going to find that's one of the things that can really help Villanueva hold up through the season. And and that's the thing about uh, about drafting a guy like Ben Cleveland. Obviously, you you can't coach that size, but the the raw materials are there to 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 make a really really good interior offensive lineman. And you can already see. I think there was some. I think there a, a lot of folks were hoping he was going to be able to step in as a starter from day one. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he had some injury issues and whatnot. Uh, but I think this setup now with this rotation, uh, so far so good. I wouldn't be surprised to see Cleveland take over more of the snaps from Powers just because of the physical specimen that that he is, and because of the way the Ravens like to run the football. He'd be a guy, man. Could you imagine him coming around the corner on a, you know, on a pole? And you know, you're you're a 225 pound linebacker, and here's you know Ben Powers, or excuse me, here's uh, Ben Cleveland coming your way. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's certainly got the size to pull very effectively. Uh, and and that was one of the things in looking at him in the draft. He was my number two ranked guard this year. I really thought if you look at Bozeman, he's not a particularly great athlete. He's slower than Powers. Um, he's not as big. Uh, all of Powers' measurables are, frankly, better when you look at um, – uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, all of Cleveland's measurables are better than Bozeman, the last year's left guard, who was very effective pulling. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you look at it from that perspective, the Ravens' coaches should be able to make him a better puller, I think, in the end than Bozeman was. It's not necessarily going to happen right away, but, but you know, he's, he's a hell of an offensive lineman, it looks like, a hell of a specimen. And I don't see any reason why it won't work out. Now, they've got two guys right now who can play left guard. That's helping them in terms of rotational value mm-hmm. of tiring out opposing defenses quicker, I think. And it could help them more if they just alternated every series instead of every quarter or so, which it seems like what they're doing right now. Yeah. And that could be a continuity thing. Maybe there is something to just being kind of in that flow. Although again, when a drive ends, you would think the continuity ends, but uh, obviously it looks like this system is working out for them so far, Hmm. at least early returns. Yeah, very excited about that. You know, you've always got the possibility that somebody else on the offensive line goes down, and I think they'll they'll have a plan for moving people around on that interior line uh, without McCary if there's an injury at any one of those three positions, and and uh, it could involve either Powers or Cleveland moving. And you know, the 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 big monkey is still you know if McCary just cannot do it on the right side, and so far he had one excellent game where they protected him very well, but he's still excellent game, no doubt about it. And one pretty bad game, which we're going to get to in a minute. Um, can 
would Powers, sorry, would Cleveland be the guy that you'd move to right tackle? Because he's the guy who has the appropriate arm length uh, mm-hmm. for that position. Obviously, a lot of other things go into that position. But if you're going to turn your game into a power football game primarily, could Ben Cleveland be that guy? Yeah, not, not something I, I considered. But when you say it and, you, and think about it, you, I think the biggest thing you'd worry about is his footwork and his quickness. Mm-hmm. You know, those kind of things that usually keep guys on the interior as opposed to playing on the edges. But, you know, th- there's you know, right tackle with a with a right-handed quarterback is usually going to be your mauler. And if there's a guy that can maul, it's Ben Cleveland. Yeah, and if you look at what the Ravens have done the last few years with Orlando Brown even, I mean, Orlando Brown, not a quick-footed tackle, obviously better than a lot of people gave him credit for, but really used his length well to get people past 6, six o'clock on the pocket and mm-hmm. get him past that back pylon of the, of the pocket. And I think that's where you'd have to depend on Cleveland to do that when he had to, and then also be the same guy, but maybe even better than Orlando Brown was in terms of his ability to uh, make a down block that would be destructive on that defensive tackle and get up that half level he needs to to hit the scraping linebacker to seal that uh, right edge of of the Ravens power run game, which would be I think that could be pretty cool if if you if you wanted him for that in the end. But he's he's not the ideal candidate, by the way. I'm not saying that I want to see that. I'm just saying it's I'm looking for the Ravens yeah. next option. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. If something goes sideways, you know, maybe that's something they can do. All right, let's move on. Bo's, oh, sorry, Cleveland a B in this game. Point eighty four raw score, four missed blocks out of twenty five. Good game for good game for Ben again too. Um, Bozeman best career game so far. Um, fifty four out of fifty six blocks made. Didn't have any negative charges. Uh, he did have two misses. Uh, two out of two poles, two blocks in level two, two highlight combination blocks. Uh, he's still pulling effectively uh, from center. He doesn't pull as often. Uh, they didn't run counter much in this game, which is one of the things you really notice when they're running it you know, 12 times a game at the end of last year. And now they, they ran it once in, in this game. Uh, that's a big thing kind of missing from the Ravens offense. I, it, it, again, it was very surprising. And I wonder if it's also looking at the ability of the running back stable. Now, uh, one thing that stood out for me, I was getting away from the offensive line, but the fact that Devontae Freeman got as many carries as he did. Yeah. If it put anything on display, it, it showed that he doesn't have it anymore. He doesn't have the burst to get to the edge. He, he, he looked indecisive a couple of times. It, I'll be surprised if he's on the 53 very much longer, especially with Nate McCrary returning to the practice squad and with what he showed in the preseason. And you need some of that quickness to get to the edge especially in this running game where you have, you know, various points of attack and real quickly going back to the chiefs game, there was a, uh, um, a, a series where Tyson Williams took it to the outside and got pushed out of bounds after about a two yard gain. And if mm-hmm. you uh, recall, Collinsworth said something about, Hey, he should have cut that up inside. Um, I've read about the numbers and I think the next player to play after Williams did that and hit that seam. And I think he picked up like 10 or 12 yards. Those are the kind of things that it's so disappointing that JK Dobbins got hurt because that was the kind of element that he brought. But that's something that Devontae Freeman, he just doesn't have that. He doesn't have that in the bag anymore. And that's another thing that can help out your offensive lineman. Yeah. It's, it's, it's difficult to watch the Ravens on a third and three play you know, get zero or minus one yards and, and with, with Freeman 
or Murray for that matter, uh, or a third and four play when the bread and butter of the 2019 Ravens was to get there in two downs mm-hmm. or one down sometimes, but, but two downs, if not one. <laughs> and uh, it was just shame to shame that we didn't really see that kind of explosiveness or any kind of really ability to get out of a difficult situation in the backfield. And some of that's the offensive line, of course, but some of it's also the, uh, the running back not being decisive with his cuts. Nate McCrary back on the team in, in, uh, in a, on the practice squad, at least. One thing I've been wondering is whether Josh Bynes' elevation today, obviously means all sorts of things for Queen, has all kinds of potential implications for him. But does it have implications for McCrary as well? Because are, is it possible that they are reserving a practice squad elevation to get McCrary up and uh, and, and they know that they, they have two guys they want brought up for from the practice squad, and so they wanted to elevate Bynes now rather than later? Because they had two two chances left to elevate Bynes. That's the point I was making. Sorry. Right. Well, and, and if you want to talk about Bynes, I think that has uh, maybe an even bigger impact on Malik Harrison. You saw his snap mm-hmm. count diminish uh, significantly. But I, I really think there's a very realistic chance that Nate McCrary, especially interesting enough, you bring him back right before you play the Broncos and he spent a couple of weeks in Denver, you know, not that there's, you know, there's nothing new under the sun as the saying goes, but it doesn't hurt to bring in a guy uh, playing for your team. Now that was just, that was playing for the team that you're about to play. So, you know, all those games are always played in the NFL. So that may have had a little bit to do with it too. Yeah, it is. It is kind of cool. I hope there's something McCrary supposedly brought in for special teams, but even if they, if he knows a few of the special teams plays that would have value. So, uh, Anyway, there you go. Uh, it's Kevin Zeitler, a, a truly awful game in this one. Uh, he had an average game with a holding penalty. Probably would have been a low C until the last drive. And then he allowed parts of two sacks, and it wasn't small parts. It was a half and two-thirds, and then a pressure as well on a three-play sequence uh, to drop himself to an F for this game. His earlier holding penalty wiped out a, a highlight combination block of his own, which is a shame. That's really unusual, by the way, that you get a hold and you also get a highlight combination block. But this is one where he had his guy blocked and, and then he also held him. So, <laughs> bummer. Right. The uh, And if, if I recall correctly, Zeitler was the one that got beat pretty badly on that Latavius Murray third and two, third and three handoff that ended up going for like a two-yard loss. That the, the push was there. And that's just things that... <laughs> And that goes back to what we talked about in the beginning with the way that they decided to run this game plan. They tried to do a lot of straight up power type stuff. And it's not that they're not capable, but it's just not what the Ravens do on a regular basis. And I think that's and I think that's part of the reason why you saw the running game suffer a little bit on Sunday. Again, you said the you know the numbers. A lot of other teams would take take those kind of yards per carry numbers, but that's very unraven like of the last couple of seasons. Yeah, very, very much so. I agree. Um, Zeitler had a really a pretty good day run blocking. Otherwise, five blocks in level two, two pancakes, three highlights. Um, you know, of all of the five guys, I just can't, I, I can't. Well, not of all the five guys. Let's say of all the three guys that I'm really concerned about right now: left tackle, right tackle, and Zeitler. I can't bring myself to be concerned about him. It's he's he's so far down the list of what's wrong with the Baltimore Ravens. He's got to come back. He's got to you know just hike up his own pants and and play better. 
I mean, he's he's got a uh, he's the glue that holds this line together. He's responsible for the cadence. If they had to take him off the field for some reason, I don't know what they're doing. I mean, obviously they'd be trying to get by with Cleveland and Powers, but then they'd be losing their guy who is who is delivering on a lot of what they were trying to take off Bozeman's plate to make his job a little bit easier. Yeah, and Zeitler's got got too good of a track record. He's been very consistent throughout his career. And let's face it, a big part of the reason why he was brought in was because of the gaping hole left by Marshall Yonda. Not saying that Kevin Zeitler is a, you know, I, I think a lot of people would agree that Marshall Yonda's probably a Hall of Famer. I don't know that Zeitler's in that category, but he, he certainly does everything. And I think that's why he was targeted by DaCosta because he can he can do a little bit of everything. You know, he can pull, he can combo block, he, he can he, he can do it all. So let's, like you said, hope this one is an outlier. And he's definitely way down on the list on of concerns. There you go. Uh, Patrick McCary regressed, really had a tough game against Romeo Acora. Uh, shares of four sacks in this game. So I had him with three one-third sacks and one one-half sack. And the the one third sacks, if you look at other services, they're probably calling those pressures because they didn't give the sack to him. The one half sack, I'm not sure who they would have given it to. I had him for two other pressures. Again, my, my standard is a little higher in terms of holding offensive linemen account, accountable. So he had two half pressures there. Uh, continued solid run blocking. So he's doing his job there. That's not the problem at all. Uh, he's not going to lose his job over that because the Ravens don't really have any other options. So it, it's really a matter of they have to go back to protecting him on that right side. If he, if he, if he played several more consecutive games, maybe two um, that were as bad as this, or, uh, you know, looked as bad as what the Ravens got out of the one way, but at, at right tackle uh, in week one, and then I think he'd be in trouble, but just the Ravens are so stuck in mm-hmm. terms of who they have available to tackle. He's actually, you know, fairly safe. I think for the next game or two. Yeah. I mean, you pretty much, you, answered it right there. They, they don't have a lot of other options. And I think they also understand the coaching staff understands that he is, you know, for all intents and purposes, playing out of position. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to continue to have to have him out there, you're going to have to chip, you're going to have to slide protection, you know, maybe keep a back in. I think once Boyle gets healthy, we may see some some things change. That's not to uh, impugn any of the work of, of Tomlinson or Oliver, but obviously we know Boyle's track record around here and his ability to block. Mm-hmm. I also think you could help McCary out by l- let's run some screens to his side. Let's take advantage of the aggression that teams are going to throw at him because of that. But it doesn't seem like Roman really has screens in the playbook at least no. not enough, not too many, not like Cam did. Let's put it that way. <laughs> no, it's uh, he, 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 yeah, there's, it's, it's so complex in order to get a good screen off. Uh, uh, the, the, we, we don't want to really minimize how, how hard that is to design it properly. Uh, you, you think of, well, boy, you got a good chance if McCary is going to get run by on a lot of plays, but McCary isn't getting run by as often as he's just getting bold straight back and then shed. And so, you know, maybe the flags go up, red flags go up for all the linemen as soon as McCary gets beat left or right too easily. So I, I, I really don't know. I just, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of salesmanship that needs to go on to run a good screen pass. I, I don't, I don't want to over, over say how easy it is to do. Oh yeah, I don't want to simplify it at all because obviously there's and there's the execution of it because the timing's got to be right and the throw's got to be there and somebody doesn't have to you know pick up something a tendency and diagnose it and whatnot. But it's I think it'd be worthwhile to consider 
because yeah. you can at least get it get it in the defense's mind that keeps them that get off is just that much slower yeah you know that's a great point if they just run it you know once a week then the defense has to think about oh they do run that screen pass sometimes and if it if it's run once or twice effectively over a three-game period then you really got something because hey they'll wait wait a minute they'll go duvernay on that side or they'll you know Mm -hmm. run to the jet motion guy and they'll screen the ball to him uh you know i I like that idea a lot Mm -hmm. Cologne played one snap as a sixth offensive lineman. Mentioned that mentioned that earlier. Made his block. A few general offensive line notes, and this this goes to some of the scoring here. The Lions rushed three on that one fourth and nineteen play, and we saw six guys blocked three, and they held that pocket up for probably pretty close to five seconds before Lamar threw that ball. Maybe not quite that long, but but pretty close. Of the other thirty three plays that resulted in a passer sack, and that excludes that one spike they also had. Um, 29 of 33 times, they rushed four exactly. Most of those were plain old vanilla 4-0 rushes. There was no doubt about who they were bringing. They had four down. That's who they showed. That's who they brought. Uh, a few times, they had a, a more standardized uh, 4-1 uh, drop where they dropped one edge off a five-man line. Uh, but basically, I'm looking through this. I'm trying to see if there are any 4-2s in this game. They did run a 5-2. Uh, they, they only had one simulated pressure the whole game. Now, that would be completely unacceptable for the Ravens, but uh, uh, they ran seven simulated pressures this week by, by comparison. Uh, but uh, it's, it's, it was not a complex rush to figure out, is my point. And to give up so many pressures on it is not a good thing. Uh, well, obviously not. Uh, the The other thing that I noticed the Lions did a few times, and uh, particularly the the nose tackle, and his name escapes me right now. I apologize. It was either ninety five or ninety six. Their nose tackle. Okay, not not Ellen McNeil, who's number fifty fifty four. So it's ninety five is Roman Aquaro, who's the who's the left defensive end. He would have been playing. Opposite okay, it, it looked like he it, it looked like he was inside on this particular play. It was one where he he, he held his rush to the point where it was almost like Bozeman like kind of ha- thought he had him blocked. And when Lamar was looking to escape, he wasn't able to escape because he didn't aggressively get upfield. And even though pressure was generated with four, as you just stated, it looked like they were, they were doing a good job of almost trying to hold the line to not allow Lamar that ability to escape up the middle because of how much damage he does with, with getting out and escaping between the hash marks. And then so getting, controlled rush. Lanes, yeah, saying, it yeah. almost looked like a control. Yeah. Like a controlled rush, not on the edges, but it looked like they did that in the middle a couple of times. I didn't make any specific notes on it, but it stuck with me and you could see Lamar kind of hesitating, stutter stepping. And that's not something he usually does. He, when he gets, when it's time to go, he goes and it looked like the lions had that scouted up. And I don't know whether that's something that we're going to see going forward. Was that a function of the lions personnel? Was that an Anthony Lynn, you know, defensive coordinator coaching point? I'm not sure, but I think it's something to watch for in this ever evolving of, Oh, now the league has Lamar figured out. (laughs) All right. Well, the league didn't see this one coming, I don't think. Uh, you know, he moved around a crowded pocket very well in this game, but the, it's the 19.3 air yards per attempt. It's just out of this world, the highest in the last five years. It may be the highest uh, since they've been keeping this data at AWS. So uh, it's just one of these one of these numbers that sticks out like nobody's business. Do you know how to know, Josh? I see you moving up towards the microphone here. 
Oh, sorry. No, I, I okay. don't have that answer. <laughs> no problem. I just thought you were reacting to that. Um, he really is exceptionally well-equipped to deal with that one-sided pressure, and the Ravens did a good job of that. So what you're talking about, the controlled rush lanes, that's often going to keep them from getting that pincer pressure that they often need to get Lamar really uncomfortable. So they'll have to, they'll have to, the, the Raiders did it in spades. Obviously they got pressure on both sides multiple times and that was very uncomfortable for Lamar. But, but that's not what we saw from Detroit very often. They did get some sacks, but most of their, most of their pressure was one-sided um, uh, pressure that, 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 uh, that they put on Lamar. Yeah. And, you know, and something in all of this too is taking a sack isn't always a bad thing. Mm-hmm. especially when you have an opportunity to see what the situation is and see what the quarterback sees when you're looking at the broadcast and you're looking at it as a fan, you're like, Oh, throw, why didn't he get rid of it? Mm-hmm. But there are often times where it's a, it, again, it's a veteran move. It's a growth of a quarterback where sometimes, you know what, I'm going to take the loss here, but live to fight another down as opposed to putting the football in harm's way or trying to do too much and risk getting hit from behind and put the ball on the carpet put us in a bad situation. So of course you don't want to see it happen, but sometimes it's the best of a bad situation. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that certainly. And and you're maybe more talking about a six or eight yard sack, but frankly, a lot of Lamar's sacks in his career have been shorter sacks where he's really taken off to run the ball, but gets tackled from minus one or minus two, not dangerously tackled because mm-hmm. he's getting, he's getting hit going down to one tackler, not getting hit by multiple guys. And, and Lamar's ability to gamble on that and a scramble yardage has more than paid off for those, you know, few extra one, two, three yard sacks uh, that, that have occurred, particularly in, in 2019, but even also in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. Think about the touchdown against the Titans in the playoff game. That play looked, you know, you that looked dead and all of a sudden off to the races. There you go. Um Let's see. Interception, obviously not really good. Um thinking on that play to, to put that ball up that that didn't it the way that was lofted up there it didn't look like it was uh it was going to be in a good spot anyway uh he's thrown other balls into into multiple coverage where he's managed to thread the needle but i just didn't see that having a real good chance uh, the, in particular the end zone throw was it watkins or brown uh that was a that was a double coverage bracketed but still almost complete uh, that was uh, the, that sort of brown, and I think they got a pe- and they got a, a maybe got, got a, a hand it, yeah. up, or uh, but it still it still looked pretty catchable. But on the interception, I actually because that was we we were on the plus side of the field there, and you know that's four down territory. I was actually really surprised to see them spread it out and throw the ball there. I thought that would have been prime territory to go uh, too tight end or go heavy and let's run the football here, try to get five or six, seven yards and make that a manageable fourth down as opposed to putting Lamar into that position where he obviously forced that throw in. And I mean, the result, eh, it was kind of like a punt inside the 20, you know, of course you don't want to turn the ball over there at all, especially not at that point in the game. But I was a little surprised to see, see us drop back and throw the ball there because it seemed to again, go against what the Ravens have excelled at over the last couple of years. They needed to grind out some first downs and get a score on that drive. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they surrendered two 75-yard touchdowns in a row, and then they surrendered sixty-two yard, a 62-yard drive for the field goal that, frankly, the Lions stopped themselves because they mm-hmm. were afraid of not getting, a, not getting a first down rather than really deciding they would have put the game away with a first down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, so many things the Lions did wrong in this game that, that basically gave it back to the Ravens. The Ravens, of course, had – 
some drops of their own, some mistakes of their own that 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 uh, that gave the Lions some chances. But uh, but that was pretty bad. I thought the the uh, uh, the the last drive for the Lions and some of the coaching choices that were made. Yeah, as they've said, uh, it was a uh, it was a very Detroit kind of loss, right <laughs> down to the end with the ball not going through the upright straight. It it had to bang off the crossbar first yeah. before going through. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's you know, this is we will be fortunate to be able to watch that field goal for about the next fifty years, but certainly as long as it remains the record, mm-hmm. we'll we'll be able to see that field goal over and over again because it's an iconic highlight. It has everything. It had the you know. The long kick, the game-winning kick, the 19-17 to 17 score that's the same as Dempsey, the hitting the crossbar, the pop over, the wait, wait, is it good? And, mm-hmm. and, and then you've got crystal clear video of all those fans in the end zone in wearing their individual jersey colors and reacting to it that is just – it's pure beauty in sports video. Well, and yeah, there's so many other things within that. The uh, the ball boy that was underneath the yes. uh, he <laughs> threw his arms up, jumping up and down in the air before the the officials even reacted. Yeah. And you know when you boil it all down, yeah, this could have been a garden variety 35 to 10 Ravens win, but we would never remember that. Now for, this game will be forever etched in Ravens lore. And dare I say, is fourth and 19 the new fourth and 29? Yeah, for, for maybe for this team. Let's see if they make the playoffs, and then right. it could be. Uh, right. that, that was a real special throw, certainly, in, in that situation. Just a gorgeous pass to Watkins in that play. To, to get it over the defender and drop it in the bucket before the, the, the rear defender, just it was, a, it was a thing of beauty. Well, and the and the route too, and the route combination. You know, Watkins came all the way from you know from the the, the bottom of the screen and ran that deep cross. You know, pushed the depth. Made sure he got past the sticks, made himself available. There was the two verticals to clear out, and the Lions helped out with only rushing three, allowed time for all that to come together, and there it was. Yeah, only four guys out there. That was a was definitely a very uh, interesting play. They had to they had to get somebody open right on that play. Uh, let's talk maybe formations and scheme. I mean, for one of the things that really bothered me in this game is, is that the older backs were getting a higher percentage of the carries, uh, that they, they made Williams more of a receiving back in this game. And meaning he was on for receiving plays. He only got one target and it was, it was off the mark, but, but, uh, the other backs, you know, Murray and Freeman were getting the carries. I, and, and we've uh, kind of talked around that a little bit up to this point, but it, it's very disappointing to see those two get the lion's share of the carries. I'm fine with Latavius Murray on the team. You know, last year he proved he he can still he can still get it done in a in a I guess a number two back kind of role. And although this offense really doesn't have a true number one bell cow type back, <laughs> but you can. I can't have Devonta Freeman leading the team in carries anymore. I was actually even surprised they signed him, quite frankly, given how his, you know, we know how running backs age in this league and yep. they don't age well. It's it's the exception rather than the rule if they're productive beyond 30. And when the production drops off, it, it drops off a cliff. I know they were in a bad spot. But I think bringing back Nate McCrary, as we said a couple times, and who knows with Le'Veon Bell, there's been rumblings about him practicing well. 
almost seems sacrilege to have Le'Veon Bell in purple, but we may see it before too long. But I think McCrary is going to get a shot, Ken, as you mentioned, because of some special teams prowess. I think they can always use help there. We know Coach Harbaugh loves his special teams guys. And I think McCrary just provides more of a burst and ability to get to the edge. Just he's quicker, and that works better. In not only in a young man's league, but in this offense. Right. Quicker, I think a better cut uh, player. And I don't think they really want to do what they did with Lamar in 2019 and really make him um, reading. They're going to make him read the edge defender, but they're not going to really make him want to run the edge. They're going to want to have a sidecar instead of pistol where the sidecar player is the edge player who takes more of those hits. They, they, their desire is completely apparently to run Lamar up the middle in this mm-hmm. offense as opposed to the edge. Uh, last year, I thought it was a matter of the, you know, some sort of a lingering groin injury he might have been having. I, this year, I think it might be a safety issue that they really, they really want to uh, have Lamar make sure the middle of the field is open. And then he, he, can, he can obviously be deadly there when he, when he does. McCrary, uh, you know, is going to be a much better guy for being able to get the edge and support uh, Lamar out of sidecar on some of those middle runs was the, was the point I was eventually getting to. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and Lamar is going to, th- there's so many things that he does that aren't designed when he breaks contain, when, when, when scrambling happens and he's going to get to the edge when situations like that occur or in goal line, he's going to go to the edge as we saw against the chiefs when teams are going to sell out to try to stop up the middle. But I think you made a really good point there because even last year, what I believe there, it was either three or four, touchdown runs of over 30 yards that went right up the a gap i mean just where whatever was the you know obviously i don't remember off the top of my head but whatever the play design was whatever we showed was enough that it sold out the defense and the red sea the proverbial red sea parted and he was able to, to take off untouched um interestingly enough for a safety issue lamar's been taking on a little bit of contact this season a couple of times where it looked like he may run out of bounds and instead he's lowered his shoulder. Now, granted, he's going up against a defensive back that's probably maybe a little bit smaller than him, but still uh, different than what we've seen and what we've seen in 19 and 20. Right. Less, less is better. I agree. We have not seen as many, you know, straight run out of bounds as, as we saw in 19. But I mean, we, you're not going to see as many straight run out of bounds because he, he doesn't run to the edge as much. I mean, that's, that's, you know, fairly obvious. If he's, when, he, when he takes off out of the, uh, off a scramble, most of those are not going to get to the sideline. Some do, but most do not. Mm. And when he, when he takes off from, uh, you know, going towards the sideline with his initial move on a read play, that's when he has really his best chance. And that was what 2019 was all about is a lot of very minimal contact, knocking him out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Indeed. All right, let's move on here a little bit. Um, so the Ravens have five running backs in house right now. We've talked about this a little bit, but let's really codify where we think we're, we're going to be here. So Latavius Murray seems to be on the team. Uh, okay. First of all, we'd agree. Tyson Williams is completely safe. As far as being on the 53, being on the active, whatever it might be, he's the Ravens' number one back. Latavius Murray seems to have adapted fairly well. Um, Would we assume he stays as the number two back, at least for now? I think for now. Um, And and it really does until until they decide to elevate McCrary and get him some snaps and see what he's capable of against. Because remember, he made a lot of hay in the preseason, but Mm -hmm. you're facing – 
you know, guys that might be driving beer trucks in a couple of weeks. Sure. So you're not necessarily certain what he has in a, you know, in a regular season game, but I think Murray's absolutely safe for now. I think, uh, as I've said a couple of times already, I think Devonta Freeman is going to be the odd man out before too long. Right. Uh, it makes sense. And in terms of managing the cap week to week, getting rid of a veteran is a little more valuable than a first contract guy. And the Ravens are playing it so tight right now in terms of what cap they have left. Wouldn't surprise me if that's a deciding factor after, you know, they look at McCrary and they look at Freeman and they, you know, they might see McCrary as a guy who's more likely to have a fumble, but is otherwise probably a more productive back. And he makes a little bit less. And that's the, oh, well, he makes a little bit less. I guess we got to go with that. <laughs> right. Well, and when you talk in terms of cap too, you, 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 are concerned about what's been going on at linebacker. I know we're talking about the mm-hmm. offense, but if you think about needing to get help somewhere, you're, you're really up against it. And I don't know yeah. if they can restructure anybody else at this point. I feel like they've restructured all the big deals already. They've definitely restructured all the big deals except for one, and that's Peters. So they have a little bit of money they could get out of Peters' contract. But to do that, they're pushing money, and so they're they're resisting that one for right now. They may decide they have to do it at some point. Uh, they can also extend somebody. So if they extend somebody, they could they right. could push some additional money out. It's possible, but you know I think that that right now the Ravens are going about as far as they can go, and they really need some relief from next year's cap dollars. Yeah, and I don't think anybody's signing Earl Thomas to get us out from underneath that ten million <laughs> dead money. So no, <laughs> I think we got to wait yeah. till next year for that. <laughs> there it was. I knew it'd be funny here on this show. So anyway, so the, the uh, uh, let's talk about some individual players in this game because we like to do that. But go ahead and bring up any individual player you want. We'll talk about him, and then I'll pick the next one. Well, I'll uh, start with uh, James Prochet. It was nice to see him make that big grab. Um, I've been very disappointed at the lack of snaps, at the lack of time he's been on the field, considering what he was doing in the preseason and all the reports we had out of training camp. And then especially with Bateman and Boykin down. Mm-hmm. And, and also with having Nick Boyle down, even though Boyle's not a huge part of the passing game, he's still a contributor. So I thought this would have been a great opportunity to see what Prochet can do. I mean, he made a play, basically ran one of, looked like one of Hollywood's routes mm-hmm. on Sunday and made that nice catch on the sideline. Hopefully that's enough to maybe open the coaching staff's eyes to get him some more looks as we move forward. Yeah, it was a beautiful extended play route. So the, the rules always say, you know, the, the, the receiver closest to that sideline at intermediate level goes to the sideline and, and is, makes himself available. He did better than that. He curled back towards the quarterback an appropriate amount to make that throw easy for Lamar to present himself to Lamar. So I, I love that. I mean, it was, that was classic, uh, you know, helping the quarterback out of a, out of a bad situation there. And, uh, and he really made that work. That, that will earn him some trust with Lamar. It's a, it's a really good play for him. Uh, let's go. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about uh, Mark Andrews, who you know is a terror right now to the entire league, and and the reason is pretty simple. Almost every team is playing a lot of cover three against Lamar, a lot of zone coverages where uh, they don't have an extra answer for Andrews most of the time. And and part of the reason they can't have an extra answer for Andrews, like some sort of slot cover through cover three slot, is that they can't really take the extra defender out of the box where they might need him as a spy. And so, you know, it, it creates opportunities for Andrews to get open between level two and level three. And he has just proven expert at finding those spots. It's uh, and especially with the, the 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 amount of attention the linebackers have to pay to the running game and even 
even if we don't employ play action, the mm-hmm. way that Andrews can will find those dead spots in that intermediate, that 12 to 15 yard range. And one of the things I like about him and Jackson's connection, and this is something that I've liked about Lamar since 2019 when everybody was you know, criticizing how he throws the football, he has an ability to throw his guys away from oncoming defenders where it may look like at first that, Oh, that throw was behind so-and-so. And And then when you see the replay, you're like, Oh no, Lamar saw the, the safety coming up to make that play. So he did throw it behind him to keep him out of harm's way. And that's something I've seen that he's done with Andrews a couple of times, not in this game per se, but just in general. But yeah, Andrews, I would just like to see him show up a little bit more in some of these bigger games. I feel like, he comes, he has some drops or a few disappearing acts. And I don't quite know if that's just because teams in big games will double him and he has a little bit of tough time with the contested catches or if it's just been some off games at bad times. Right. There's there's some collapsing on him, Don. And I'm not saying when I say teams like to play zone against the Ravens, it's predominant. It's not the only defense sure. they play. But, but yeah, it's, it's Andrews given a, a high, you know, it's a – what is it? A uh, uh, when there's a dense field of targets, what do you call that? Lots of targets of opportunity, whatever you want to call it. I mean, he's, he's, he has lots of opportunity to to beat zone coverage hmm. the way the Ravens' offense works, and it's a it's a great deal for him. And it'll be great to keep him and Lamar together for years. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. That uh that that intermediate crossing route that he runs, where he just gets in space, and then he can depending on how the safety is playing depending on what routes are run behind that. If they're clearing something out, he can come underneath like he had the the, the big gainer on, on Sunday, that 40 some odd, almost 50 mm-hmm. yard reception. And that's a bread and butter play. Um, All right. Your turn yeah. for another player. Um, I, I would, I would like to say something about Sammy Watkins. It's just nice to have a professional receiver on the team. I know that sounds very generic, but for so many years with this franchise, it's been let's pick up so and so that is you know probably in the November of his career or yep. let's draft uh, you know Lasley or Jaleel Scott in the sixth round and hope or Clarence Moore or you know et cetera et cetera. There's been so many of those kind of guys, and it's not that Watkins is this you know is an A number one you know, kind of threat. Cause that's not what he is at this point in his career, but he's just a professional that he runs crisp routes. He, he knows how to get open. And the way, again, I mentioned it earlier, the way that he pushed that, that route at the end of the game on the fourth and 19 to be able to make that play. And it shows how much Lamar trusts him that here they are three games in together and the biggest play of the season, he's willing to go to number 14. So I think that that's a very positive development. Yeah, have. it's 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 definitely they, they've got a good connection. You really saw it in camp, and I think uh, you know they continued. Devin Duvernay had really not been much of the offense coming into this game. Uh, I really like the fact that he was in position to make that catch in the back of the end zone uh, on a play where it looked like the Ravens are going to barf up a pretty good touchdown opportunity. Frankly, mm-hmm. yeah, after the uh, yeah after the drop, and then the uh, the, the was their penalty sack. You know, you get yourself in third and 18 and you're in that and the field compacts down there. It's really difficult to have somebody get that open. 
Um, good things happen when Duvernay touches the football. Uh, the fumble notwithstanding that was wiped out by the penalty, of course, on special teams. But mm-hmm. uh, anytime he's gotten the ball on a jet sweep or just little involvements in the game where he's another guy kind of like Prochet where I'd like to see him get more opportunities just to see right. what he can do with the football in his hand. But also there's only so many footballs to go around and only so many plays to run. So how, what's the challenge of doing that and who loses out as a result? It's I mean, that's, that's a good way to look at it. I mean, Andrews and, uh, and Hollywood are getting a lot of targets and Duvernay is getting very, very few touches per snap played. He's playing a lot of snaps, but he's just mm-hmm. not getting, he's not getting very many touches per snap played, whether they're run or pass. And I, you know, Miles Boykin, it's easy to justify, easier to justify him being on the field because he's an outstanding run blocker. And Duvernay, I think, is an effort run blocker, a little bit like Willie Sneed, but Willie Sneed got a lot more touches than mm. uh, than uh, Duvernay has so far. Yeah, and uh, it's fun you mentioned Boykin, and obviously he's returning to practice this week. And I, I, what of the new IR rules? Do you still have time to make a determination? Or would they have to go back, or no, is it just can, once yeah. they return, they're they're back on the fifty three, basically? I, I don't know what the rules are as far as can he practice for only three weeks or something. Yeah, that's what I wasn't quite. That's, that's wasn't what you're quite getting at, right? Yeah, but assuming that he's back, I think that one of the things you're going to see with Boykin if, as he gets back into the lineup. It is remarkable how many of the highlight plays, if you watch a YouTube highlight video from 19 or 20, how many times it's Boykin that has his hands on somebody 25, 30 yards downfield as a back is stepping out of bounds or as Lamar is making a big run. So that's an element that's, that's been missing. And same thing, mentioned Nick Boyle earlier. That's an element that's been missing. So when you put it all into totality, all of the things that they have been missing, to be at two and one right now, almost kind of miraculous when you wouldn't have thought that given what we thought we had four days before, you know, the season started, a lot of us probably would have thought two and one, but then we had all the injuries. We had the COVID situation yet here they are two and one and now some helps on the way. Yeah. I mean, I I think at some point you just have to say, it was a tough series of games and, and it, the way it shook out was two and one. And, and they, they really need to figure out how to make this team better. Don't, don't rest on any laurels. Don't right. pretend like you can go into Denver and, and expect to win there. Cause they cannot, they could, in fact, they should know now they couldn't expect to go into Detroit and, and expect to win there. Uh, you know, anytime they, they, they go on the road, you know, it's a, it's a big deal. You, you, you need to dig for every road win. It's, it's, uh, it's hard work. Let's move on to the MVPs from this game. Cause I want to get into a few questions from the mailbag as well. Uh, I usually name them off three, two, one. Do you, do you want to participate in all of this? And if you've got a number three guy, you can just tell us who it is. Uh, fire away, Ken. I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback if I need to. Okay, sure. Number three guy is Andrews uh, for me, over 100 yards uh, receiving in this game. Definitely was doing his thing between level two and level, th- level three. Um, c- couldn't agree more. He, he, uh, he has such an impact on the game because he's difficult to cover and he has a great feel for where, where those defenders are and how to get into space. And he, he's a matchup nightmare and he's got Jackson's trust. All right, Bozeman is my number two guy, uh, one of the best games of his career, if not the best game. And uh, this was a uh, really good game to see him playing center at what I think is the optimal level where he's uh, using his size very effectively at that position 
where he might be a little short-armed for another position. Uh, he's just able to really get it done on the inside there. Running the risk of being glib, it's a relief to have a center that can snap the ball to Lamar Jackson consistently. Yeah. And that's that's a it's a hu- been a huge asset that in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, he has, hasn't been perfect so far this year, but uh, but that's okay. He's been a lot better than it's been. I think the, the Ravens have done things as we've talked about in the show before to to make that happen. Uh, Lamar Jackson, my number one, still. You know his his passing statistics did not look as good as his game really was uh, on on Sunday. He made a lot of great throws. He made some through some other catchable balls, which should have meant many more yards in this game. Uh, just didn't happen to work out. Yeah. It could it could have been a game that the Lions might have been folding up shop at halftime. Had a couple of things you know gone their way. When I say go their way, I mean catch the football. <laughs> yeah. But just to real quick go back to the thing you were talking about air yards earlier mm-hmm. and what what Lamar has done so far this year. What they said the difference between him and Josh Allen, who's in second in air yards to target. That gap is as big as Josh Allen to the 25th ranked quarterback wow. in air yards to target. Is that is so, that through three games or was that just this last one? Week? I think it's through three games. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty pretty it's remarkable amazing. stuff for the Lamar can't throw crowd. Okay. I, I'm going to have to get that one down for the by the numbers episode, so I make sure I have it. All right, uh, Josh, what do you have for us in the mailbag? All right, the mailbag. We got a few things in here using the hashtag film study mailbag over on Twitter to get your questions in. And in fact, those uh, intended air yards is what Zach is pointing out and was wondering why that increased so much for Lamar against the Lions. Was it because of the weak secondary or is it something that the Ravens are working on to have deeper routes get open? I, I, I'll give my hypothesis and then please you know, jump in there, Jamie. But I, I'd say that um, this was a particularly weak secondary they were playing. And when they see certain tendencies like a willingness to play a fair amount of man um, or a willingness to, to play single high and depend on that, um, you know, they, they, they probably would want to take advantage of it then more. But the way to beat zones sometimes is to run multiple verticals and take the lid off it. And, you know, this was a this was a case where, uh, you know, these plays and Hollywood's ability to, to make space for himself, you know, further downfield combined well with Lamar's ability to extend plays. Yeah, I think it was it was a, a function of the game plan, uh, knowing that Detroit's were down two starting corners and, you know, teams are going to load the box. There's going to be opportunities in that second level, in that intermediate range. And if you can hit on those throws with as much space as Andrews had a lot of and, and Hollywood early in the game before he ran into his issues, he, he made some plays in that intermediate area. I think it was it was a function of the opponent, function of the game plan. We'll see how it plays out going forward. All right. And clearly, if uh, Brown caught those balls, people would be talking a lot more about Lamar this week. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, all right. Sticking with that, uh, when Bateman gets ready to go, does he immediately pop in as the third wide receiver behind Brown and Watkins? I, I think given, given Harbaugh's coaching style i don't necessarily think that he pops in immediately i think he'll be worked in a little bit here and there but eventually i think you're going to see him really ascend because he looks like he has all the tools to be everything that this franchise really has never had and that's a true 
actual number one wide receiver. So I'm really excited, but I think it's going to be a work in progress for him to get there. Yeah. He's, he's a, he's an additional primarily possession guy runs great routes, but I see him more as having a career that hopefully is a less injured Sammy Watkins than really something that's closer to Hollywood Brown in terms of a take the top off the defense guy. But he should be somebody who really helps Lamar extend plays uh, when does that. And I don't see any reason why that can't start this year. All right. uh, When Stanley's back and he's healthy, he moves to left tackle. What about Patrick McCrary? Where does he go? And Will Brown is pointing out that he has the second highest highest pass block win rate in the (laughs) league. So how does that come into play as well? Do you want to start, Jamie? I mean, you know, we only saw one game of Villanueva on the right side. And he talked and they, they highlighted it in the Chiefs game. Um, Villanueva's comments about how difficult it is to, you know, as fans, as people that talk about it, you think, oh, you just flip from the left to the right. Well, I mean, it's everything's different. And obviously we saw he struggled with that. Um, I can only suspect that maybe if, if Stanley is able to get back and healthy, Maybe they rotate at right tackle, kind of like they're doing at left guard, and give a couple different looks, keep guys fresh, allow allow both of them to establish themselves, and you just b- kind of build your depth that way. And then maybe you can provide some different looks by having one in as an extra lineman here and there, but it's a way to keep Makari in the lineup. Yeah, that, that's, that would not be an unreasonable solution if they're both playing pretty well. So far, Villanueva has not really played very well at tackle, even though, you know, he got huge amounts of credit for the win against the Chiefs. I mean, I had it as a C game for him. I had this game as a low F game for him. McCary had an A in his first game against the Chiefs, and it was, it was a solid A. And, and then he had a solid D this time around. So I, I, I'm just I'm not sanguine. I'm not I'm not sold on the notion that the Ravens can just leave their tackles exposed on either side. And I'll tell you the other thing I'm really concerned about is Harbaugh's language leads me to believe there's a decision point coming for Stanley in about the next week. The only decision point I ever know about when it comes to injuries, since they don't have to do anything, would be does he need to go back for more surgery? Right. Because if, if it's, you know, otherwise there's nothing to discuss because he's on injured reserve. He gets paid the same amount, you know, regardless of whether he's there or not. There's no other list you can put him on. And there's no permanent list anymore for IR. So mm-hmm. if he, even if he goes to surgery, that's where he remains. Um, the, the Ravens are not incented to say anything. It's hard about being non-communicative um, about it and basically saying, I, I don't feel comfortable commenting on it for this, at this point. Um, is, is to me telling me that they're, they're making a decision on whether or not surgery needs to, be, needs to address the problem. I have also heard rumors of pain management issues and whatnot. You've probably heard those too, Jamie, but uh, I'm, I'm, just not, um, I'm just not convinced that we're going to see Stanley again this year at this point. Yeah, it, it was entirely too cryptic for me, for my liking. It absolutely sounds like it's something where they're deciding whether or not they have to go back in there or not and do something with that ankle. And we saw he didn't look like Ronnie Stanley in week one. And for something sure. was now whether that was a, a re-injury situation or whether that surgically repaired ankle just really wasn't ready to hold up to the rigors of an NFL game, something's not right. And I think you hit the nail on the head there, Ken. It's probably a decision about whether they've got to operate again or not. All right. Well, let's close out the mailbag with this easy question for you, Ken, from Jack. How does one get on your podcast? 
Oh, very easy. Send me a direct message on Twitter. Uh, if Jack is APR, I think he might be. Uh, that's all you need to do is is send me a direct message with your idea for a show. In particular, we're doing these shows celebrating the first 25 years of Ravens history. We're looking for obscure topics. Now, I don't want to build another Mount Rushmore because that thing's been debated to death. Or the top 10 Ravens of all time the top 10 games of all time. It's just, that's not what we're looking to do. What we're trying to do is find these interesting historical topics. One guy approached me about talking about Tony Banks. That's a great one. He has a real place in Ravens history. Let's talk about it. You know, if you want to talk about the, about the 1996 Ravens and, and you know how they were different in the way they were put together or, or where they were cap wise or anything like that. Fantastic. Great topics. If you want to talk about the saga of Jared Gaither in Baltimore. I'd love to talk about that. We don't need to talk about all the all the history topics that everybody else has already done to death, but we're still going to do justice to something in a in, in real depth. Uh, on a number of these episodes, and we'll be running them all season. So please hit me up with your ideas. We'll get you on as quickly as possible. Um, how about the rise and fall of Clarence Moore? I love it. You there want to talk go. rise and fall of Clarence Moore? You're on. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> okay. And, and, and it, it pretty much begins and ends with zipper and then alligator arms in the middle, right? Right. So, That's it. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, uh, <laughs> Sorry, Ken. really appreciate having you. It's all right. You, you threw me off for that for the good reasons, uh, Jamie. Really appreciate having you on, my friend. Uh, uh, you're welcome back anytime. We'll we'll certainly be contacting you about being on other shows. Uh, tell folks where they can find your work. Okay. Well, and I just want to say thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Um, you can uh, find me at baltimoresportsandlife.com. Uh, there's a lot of great uh, O's, Ravens, Terps, and then anything else you want in the world of sports. There's soccer, college football in general, even some uh, general discussions about reading, life, whatever you want to talk about. And uh, bunch of weekly podcasts the uh the host of the site there uh, chris stoner does a lot of great work um said orioles podcast talking terps general sports talk and then uh myself and uh my co-host mike randall do a weekly show called the bank that is ravens themed and uh yeah again all that stuff's out at baltimore sports and life.com and, and great production and editing on all those shows 110 <laughs> percent couldn't do it without you <laughs> couldn't do it without you josh is the godfather of production in this town so i, I do i do a lot but yes i i do help out with the bsl podcast as well mm-hmm. all right ken uh this week on uh film study baltimore oh i'll see we got the we got by the numbers coming up we have a uh know your foe episode a really good one by the way with george stoya we recorded it today uh it'll be out tomorrow night or Lose track of the calendar. What do you have? It'll be out one day from when you hear this one, hopefully. Yes. Uh, the episodes then, always go out late the day before we count it as the release date. So the way episodes work is today we're recording on late Tuesday. It'll probably be out by midnight, but we count it as it's your morning commute for Wednesday morning. Your morning Wednesday podcast. So, yeah. so that's where if you see here can get confused sometimes on what day we record what. We record Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and they come out Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for you guys to have in your morning commute. If you're a light guy, you'll get it at like midnight and you can stay up late listening to it if you really want it right away. By the Numbers with Dan Reese uh, will come out on Friday morning. We record that on Thursday. And then we've got have these great 25-year uh, you know, history shows that are out. There's three per week. They come out Saturday, Sunday, and Monday morning. Uh, give them a listen to because there's some great people with some great ideas. And I just, it's been a fun to meet new people and, and host these shows where, where people want to talk about some really interesting bits of Ravens history. 
That sounds like a lot of fun. I want to actually check some of those out. I didn't know about that until tonight. Get your idea, and if it's Clarence Moore, we'll do it. But uh, that might be too narrow. Yeah, that would be a short show. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Jamie, Ken, thanks a lot. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Saving money on everything for your next project at Menards. It doesn't matter what job you're up against. Works cordless power tools and lawn equipment have the power for you to get the job done faster and easier. The PowerShare 20-volt batteries run longer on a single charge, and they can be used with other tools. Check out Menards' entire selection of Works cordless power tools and lawn equipment. Plus the weekly flyer today on Menards.com. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.